Thank you for joining us for our Wednesday Word Podcast. This week, Dr. David Wilson is away, but in his absence, we have Dr. D.L. Lowry. Open up your Bibles and get ready for an incredible message from the Word of God. I am delighted to be here tonight to fill in for your pastor while he's away. His being away tonight says something about him that maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Pastors in West Texas do not have a better friend than David Wilson. He, he's their supporter when they're in trouble. He's their helper. He's their encourager. He's their prayer partner. So it's appropriate that he's with them this night in their retreat. And I would be with him in the retreat, ah, but I'm too old to retreat anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and besides that, Alice wouldn't stay at home herself. So uh, here we are. Let me add a couple of names to those uh, that uh, Jerry mentioned a moment ago. This, well, the last few days, two of the dearest people I've ever known in the work of the Lord went to be with the Lord. Walter and Eileen Hunt. They were never members at uh, Southcrest, as far as I know. They were at First Baptist for many years, but they spent mm, about 30 years in the Philippines as missionaries. They were involved in the international community here in Lubbock, leading internationals to Christ uh, all of their years here. They finally moved to Colorado Springs to be close to their children. Their son, let's see, Richard is the minister of music in one of the larger churches in Colorado Springs. But they died about a week apart. Walter was 97. She was 99. She would have been 100 in June. Oh, what a blessing they were, not just here in our community. They served as interim in several churches around and did different things. So I just want to take a moment in Lubbock, where they spent many years, I think 17 years here, and just thank God for the hunts. Two wonderful people. Well, I'm glad you have church on Wednesday night. I am. I, I commend your pastor for leading you to do this. Uh, when I went into the ministry 67 years ago, every church had church on Sunday night and had church on Wednesday night. And Wednesday night didn't have as many as Sunday night, but it had a good number always in every church. I used to say to people down at First Baptist, like you, we had so many members that it's hard for the pastor to know everybody's name. I told them at First Baptist, if you want me to remember your name, there's two things you can do. If you come to the Wednesday night service, 
I'll probably be able to remember your name. Or you can take me to the steakhouse for a good steak. <laughs> take your choice. Well, uh, I think, uh, I suspect David would know most of you by name. And I'm so glad that you're here in his absence tonight. I went to sleep on Monday night. I'd been trying to get a focus in my heart about this service. Uh, what would the Lord want to say to me and want to say to you? And uh, I woke up Monday morning, or the next morning, Tuesday morning, and my, uh, I woke up out of dreams out of things out of my past, good dreams, dreams about the refreshing times of the Lord. Uh, you pastor and preach as long as I have. You've got a lot of good memories, times when God was so real among the people. And I was thinking about that and woke up with that in my heart. I thought, well, maybe the Lord wants me to speak to the folks at Southcrest about, oh, how God can refresh and renew his people. But as I do every morning, I, I went to my study with one good cup of coffee and uh, a couple of hours in my study, I can begin to feel like I'm almost alive for another day. <laughs> uh, at this stage in life, uh, waking up is not a very good way to start the day. But, uh, uh, and I was doing my reading. I, I read through the Bible every year and encourage others to. I have several hundred people on my Facebook uh, uh, page and uh, the post I put there each morning that uh, join me in reading through the Bible. We read about four, five chapters a day. And the reading for that day in the book of Psalms, we're reading through Psalms right now, was Psalm 38. I've had not a person in the house remembers that psalm. Psalm 38. I'm 85 years old, preached 67 years. I've never read this psalm, spoken about this psalm in any time of public worship in all of those years. Psalm 38. And I, some years ago, I, uh, I made it a project to read through all of the Psalms, do a, do a study on each Psalm, and to put something of an outline together about the central truth that I found in that Psalm. So I got on my computer and I turned back to my uh, pages on Psalms, and there was Psalm 38. In my notes, I gave it the title, The Chastening of the Lord, or 
when God chastens us. I said, Lord, that's not all that refreshing. (laughs) But I read it some more, been thinking about it. It may not be all that refreshing, but it could be extremely helpful for somebody. You got your Bible. I want just, if you will, to look at the Psalm with me. Let me get on the right page here. And look at the little subscript that's under the title of the Psalm. My Bible, the New King James, has it that it's a prayer in time of chastening. And right under there's a little subscription a psalm of David to bring to remembrance, which indicates something of the purpose David had in mind when he wrote this song, this hymn, this psalm, to bring to remembrance. There's some things that God does in your life. When he does it, it hurts more than you can put into words. But there's a very thing that for the benefit of your soul, you ought to remember them. Because God was doing something through that circumstance, that experience, that time in life to further his saving purposes in your life. Now, as we read the psalm, think through the psalm tonight. These are the words of a man who really knew God. I don't know of any Old Testament man other maybe than a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah who knew God any more intimately and deeply and faithfully than David, the king of Israel. In fact, he is so distinctive in this that God the Father had his son, Jesus, called the son of David when he came into the world as the Messiah. (laughs) And he gave him the throne of David on which to set. So this is not a a nobody. This is not a, a newcomer. This is not somebody who doesn't know his subject very well. And here's what we're going to find in this psalm. We don't know when he wrote the psalm. We don't know where he was. We don't know exactly the circumstances of the psalm. Here's what we do know. David had committed a horrible sin against God. What it was, 
We don't know. The big sin of David we know about is David and Bathsheba and Uriah. It could have been that, but there's no indication in the psalm that that is true. There were some other shameful episodes in his life that are found in this in Samuel and in in First and Second Kings, but uh, there's nothing in the psalm. What we do know that God was so offended at what David had done that he did what a father does for a son in human relations. He chastened him. The word back in the hills where I came from, he gave him a whooping. (laughs) One that hurt. That's the reason he writes this psalm. He didn't want to ever remember how much it hurt and why God did it. So he put this psalm into music, wrote it out in poetry and put it in the hymn book of Israel. Let me read it. Then I just want to simply draw from it three or four things for you to carry away with you about what it means when God chastens one of his children. Verse 38, chapter 38, verse one. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. Now these arrows could be some of God's words of rebuke. It may be that God said something to him in a personal way that cut and dug in so deeply that he could never forget it. And he's saying, now, Lord, don't don't do that anymore. Verse 3, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, because of my sin. For my iniquities... That's another word for sin. But iniquities goes a little deeper than the word sin. It points to the source of sin. Sins come from a corrupt and fallen nature that's within us that the Old Testament usually calls iniquities. My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden They're too heavy for me, knowing what I've done, the weight and the guilt of it. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long. For my loins are full of inflammation and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the 
turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you. And my sighings, my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my day eyes, it is also has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. And my relatives stand afar off. These who, those who also seek my life lay snares for me. <coughs> those, who, <clears throat> those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan, decept plan deception all the day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who, who, whose foes are near, whose foes do not hear, and in whose mouth is no, is no response. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear me, O Lord, my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me. Lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. For I am ready to fall. And my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and they are strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Have you ever done something, been caught doing something, been involved in doing something that when you remember it, you think to yourself, how could I have ever done a thing like that? Has there ever been something that's happened in your life that brought to you such a sense of guilt? that you could hardly stand yourself. I mean, we, Alice and I have a dear friend in Tennessee. Uh, 
a retired Marine. Tough old boy. He's a Christian, a good Christian, strong Christian. Uh, works with Gideons in his part of Tennessee. The worst thing that's ever happened to this man happened a few months ago. His wife of a number of years died. Died after a brief battle with cancer. And it devastated him. I mean, it blew him apart at the seams. He sat in his house for days and did nothing but cry. And they thought, this is not getting anywhere. And he went to the liquor store and bought a sack full of liquor and began drinking day after day after day. He'd wake up and drink. He'd rouse up and drink. And he drank like that. And he was in danger of destroying his own life. And after several days of that, some way God jarred him into consciousness and he realized this is not the answer to anything and when he looks back on it now he's so ashamed the chastening of the Lord the faithful chastening hand of the Lord was there when he was in danger of destroying himself to save him I've never had that experience. But I've had times, times that, uh, that I never tried to describe to anybody else where God dealt with me in my own personal life and my attitudes and behaviors. God didn't have to shoot an arrow at me. His Holy Spirit that lives within me has a way of uncovering ugly things and wrong things in my life. And I feel the chastening of the Lord upon me when it happens. Maybe not as strongly as David, but it's real. And I thank God for those times. Because it's been sometimes that when he chastened me, when I needed it, that it changed things in my life in a direction that pleased him. Let me give you just three things. You need to read Psalm 38 against the background of Hebrews chapter 12. You got your Bible. Turn over to Hebrews 12 and let me just for a moment review with you a, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament about God as my father and about his chastening in my life. Hebrews chapter 12. In my New King James, it says at verse 3, that it's going to begin to talk about the discipline of God. Well, pick up with me, if you will, in verse 5, if you've got your Bible open there, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And he begins, gets ready to quote from 
from the book of Job. And he says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. <laughs> we rejoice in being God's children. We're so glad he's our father. But do you know what kind of father he is? Listen in verse, in that verse that follows. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't complain. Don't accuse God. Don't give up. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. When he talks plain and spells it out. I read the other day, it's been a blessing in my heart, about a pastor at the Long Hollow Church over in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Long Hollow Church is a large congregation in Hendersonville, which is a northern suburb of Nashville. It's one of the largest churches in that Davidson County complex, metropolitan area. Uh, Baptist Press carried this story. Uh, I'd read his some things about him biographically earlier in a report. Things have gone well, but then they've been through all this months of COVID. And it was getting to him, really getting to him. And over the last, I think, three months, two of his closest friends committed suicide. Both of them, outstanding, well-known Baptist ministers in the Southeast. Not necessarily in the Southwest, but the Southeast. And on a Saturday night, Robbie, this pastor, said he went out on his porch. You can do that in Tennessee. It's a good place to sit on the porch. Uh, he's sitting out there and just asking God to have him understand what's going on. You know our situation, God. You know about the death of my two friends. Both of them had been in his home just a matter of weeks, months before they took their own life. He didn't sense anything wrong in their lives. And as he began to talk with God, reason with God, think with God, God said to him, Robbie, you've got it wrong. What have I got wrong, God? You think the problem is our nation. You think the problem is COVID-19. That's not the problem. You're the problem. What do you mean, Lord? I'm the problem. And God began to explain to him. 
You've taken these circumstances around you. You've taken the problems and discouragements in your church and you've looked at them and you've viewed them as something that you were supposed to solve. That it was your problem and that you, you would take care of it. If it killed you, you're going to take care of it. Robbie, you're not God. I'm God. And there's not a problem on the scene that I can't handle. And when he finally got through in his conversation with God on that Saturday night on his porch, God gave him a vision of what he wanted him to do the next day in church at Long Hollow. And he went on Sunday morning and did what God told him on Saturday night. He spoke very briefly. There almost no, nothing else in the service. And he presented what God had told him the night before. And he gave a challenge for people who knew Christ as Savior or wanted to know Christ as Savior and were ready to follow Christ in baptism. He took Acts 2, 37, that verse, and emphasized how baptism is the way you express repentance and show faith. So he, he did that. He got up in the service. And before the service was over, he baptized 99 people. When I read the article, I read, by the second week in April, Long Hollow has baptized 1,400, uh, 1,400 plus, and still doing it every week. And the pastor still goes out and sits on the porch and seeing what God wants to do next. You see, God uses adversities. God uses difficulties. God uses disappointments. They're called in his language, chastenings, disciplines. He uses them to bring us to the end of ourselves and to bring us to the place that we'll know he's father, we're daughter, we're son, and he chastens us because he loves us. Those I love, I chasten. Let me read a little further. Where did I stop? I, I was getting ahead of myself here. Go back with me, <clears throat> my son, this, do not despise, do not be discouraged. For whom the Lord loves, <laughs> I think he loves me a whole bunch. He chastens and scourges. Now that's how my dad give us, gave a whipping. <laughs> when my dad, my mother never worried about her whippings. But when my dad gave you a whipping, you'd been whooped, I mean. You knew it. Well, God, 
God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows me. I'm his son. You're his daughter. You're his son. And God knows where to hit that'll hurt the most. You ever felt his lick on a tender spot that brought you into brokenness and humility before him? Well, let me read you just a step further in this 12th chapter. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as a, as a father does his son. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then, I like the King James Version actually, this is New King James. King James says, then you're a bastard. Oh, and not a son. Well, the word bastard means an illegitimate son. You're not a real son of God. If God doesn't work in a disciplinary way in your life, when you begin to wander from him, so when God chastens, it's an expression of his love. Real love. Well, let's go back over to the psalm. And let me put a second thing in front of you. The second thing, when God chastens, he brings you into brokenness. Let me just go back and refresh some of the things he says. Beginning at that third verse, you, you know brokenness, don't you? David talked about that in another one of the penitential Psalms, Psalm 51, about a broken and a contrite heart, brokenness. A few years ago, we used to sing a song about that, about brokenness and holiness and how they go together. We'll listen to verse three. There's no soundness in my flesh nor any health in my bones because of my sin. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness, brokenness. When God finally gets you to the place that you see yourself as he sees you and you begin to realize your utter undoneness, uncleanness. You remember Isaiah's experience? Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. God has in mind bringing us to brokenness where we lose our self-confidence so we can have 
God confidence. <laughs> when we find out we can do nothing, we find out he can do everything. Everything. A third thing, when God chastens The world won't offer you any help. Listen to what he said in the psalm as he talks about his family and others. Look at the verse 11. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. I don't know what that looked like in the context of David's life, but those who he would have depended on treated him like he was a leper. That's kind of leprosy language here. And my relatives stand afar off. The only people interested in me are people who want to put me down or snare me in some way. Those who seek my hurt speak of my destruction and plan deception all day long. <laughs> See, as God deals with us in our frailty and our, our sinfulness, God's trying to lead us to the place that he's all we've got. Mama can't help you. Daddy can't help you. Brother can't help you. Sister can't help you. The pastor can't help you. I mean, you've come to the end. You've come to the end. Undone in yourself. And if God's not there, there's nobody there to help. Which brings me to the fourth thing I say, and then I'll let you go. The fourth one is this. When God chastens, It doesn't destroy our hope. <laughs> that's, that's what he said. Look, go back with me, if you will, to verse 15. Interesting statement, verse 15. For in you, O Lord, let me do a little word study with you here for a moment. Now, David, the king, the shattered, broken king, is talking to sovereign God. And he says to sovereign God, for in you, O Lord. Now my new King James, uh, all of those letters are capitalized, which means they translate the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh, is God's personal name. That doesn't sound like that in our English translation. Uh, in fact, I overheard an uh, interview with John MacArthur a few days ago, and John was talking about a new translation of the Bible by the Lockman Foundation, which is the group that, uh, that owned, the, owned the copyright to 
the New American Standard Version. It's supposed to be the most conservative, careful, literal rendering of the Bible. Well, they had approached uh, uh, Dr. MacArthur. They, they wanna, they, they're in the process of putting out another, a revision of the New American Standard Version, which is one of the most widely used in the country. And they were talking to Dr. MacArthur about it. And Dr. MacArthur said to them, I'll support such an effort if you'll translate the names of God literally. Instead of writing Lord, you put Yahweh. If instead of putting the word other word translated Lord here, you'll put Adonai. Look what it says. For he says, O Lord, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord. Now notice in the second Lord, it, they're not capitalized. It's the Hebrew word Adonai, Master, Lord. It, it, that's the way you would translate in English. But to a Hebrew, that's the name. It's a name of God, Adonai. And then he says, O Lord, my God. Well, in Hebrew, the name God is Elohim. That's the name in Genesis 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So you've got them here. Yahweh, God of the covenant, the great I am. I am that I am. That's the name he gave to Moses in, in Exodus. God speaking to him. He's saying, Yahweh, oh, master, Adonai, Elohim, all-powerful one, all might in him. As long as God is God, as Yahweh is Yahweh, none of his children are without hope. I don't care how sick they are. I don't care how many circumstances have fallen apart. I don't care how dangerous the world has become. As long as Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim is our God, we have hope. And David knew that. Read on with me to the last two or three verses of this, of this uh, psalm. Go down to verse 21 and 22. <laughs> this, this is not a bad prayer at any time. Do not forsake me, O Yahweh. You brought me here. You know where I am. 
don't leave me here. Oh, my Elohim, be not far from me. Let me know you're with me. God knows how to do that. He, he knows how to break through the discouragement and the darkness. Verse 22, make haste. Can you see? Mortal, David, a transgressor, saying to Yahweh, the God of the covenant, hurry up, I need help. I think if you think you're about to go down, do what David did. Cry out to God, desperately expressing the desperation of your heart and say, make haste to help me. Oh, Adonai, my master, my salvation. As long as you have him, you have hope. <laughs> Amen? Amen? You have hope. Regardless of what happens in Washington or China or wherever, regardless of what somebody's done to you or threatened to do to you, our hope is in him. And he loves us enough that he's not going to allow the adversary to take us under. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Pray with me. Lord, you know who you wanted to speak to tonight. I know you wanted to speak to me because I've already heard your voice. Don't let anybody go out of this room tonight without renewed confidence and assurance that the Lord, he is God. Yahweh is our Elohim, our God. Shelter us, keep us, sanctify us, perfect us, complete us in the redeeming work of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us this week. Dr. David Wilson will be back next week. But in the meantime, be sure to check out southcrestlive.tv to view live streams and listen to past sermons. We hope to see you again next week.